0: you would turn to Luke chapter one in your Bible. There may be one under a chair nearby that you can use as well. And our sermon text is also printed on an insert in your program. Before we stand and hear God's word together, uh, I want to say just a few more words about our sermon series uh, that we're calling "The Wonder of Welcome: Unlikely Witnesses to the Birth of the King." Wonder—it's a—it's a word that we often associate with Christmas. Uh, we hear much about the wonder of Christmas, and it is, after all, the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? Uh, we sing about that star of wonder, star of night, and we dream about walking in a winter. Wonderland. The birth of the king of the universe, the arrival of God in the flesh, is certainly worthy of our wonder, so much so that you would think that only those who are well-to-do or well-put-together or well-thought-of would be invited to such an occasion, invited to witness the arrival of the king of kings. And it is true that there are a few royal wise men who showed up two years late, but they showed up bearing gifts from afar. But who were those first witnesses to the birth of the promised Messiah? They were unlikely witnesses. They were Zechariah and Elizabeth, a man and a woman past their prime, old and seemingly forgotten, wounded by barrenness, waiting on God's. Answer to the cries of their heart. They were weary. There was Joseph, an unlikely witness as well, a poor blue collar carpenter from a small rural town that no one thought much of at all. After all, is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? And he was engaged to Mary, the teenage girl who told everyone that her unwed pregnancy was God's doing. Then there were were the shepherds, the uh, dirty bunch of uneducated redneck ranch hands who ranked at the bottom of the socioeconomic pile. They weren't worthy until a host of angels showed up one night. And then finally, Simeon, again, an old man out of the public eye, waiting in prayer for God to send his Redeemer. The Holy Spirit gave Simeon a heart and a vision for the nations, for those far off, for the the foreigner, the stranger, and even the enemies of God, that they would be invited to be unlikely witnesses to the birth of Mary's little lamb, who takes away the sin of the world. Those are the folks we're going to enjoy the stories of this Advent season. Today, we're going to start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you would stand with me and hear the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 5 to 25 and then skip over to verse 57 for the rest of the story. Hear God's Word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him. In the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the, land, for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Verse 57 Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these incredible stories of how you have invited unlikely witnesses to come to your table, to be a part of the feast, the celebration of the birth of the King. Father, we ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand your word. Would you speak to us? Would you Create faith in us. Make us trust you more because we've heard your word this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As we approach the 1st of December, we are fully immersed in a time of year that our culture calls the Christmas rush. Um. If you've noticed, this season of busyness uh, begins earlier each year. I think it, it is now safe to say we'll be having Christmas in July next year. Um, it's becoming one of the most impatient seasons of all. Uh, even for folks who can't wait to get shopping, there's Black Friday where the stores open before your eyes do, Right? <laughs> And uh, you all know the song, Oh Yes, We Need a Little Christmas. When do we need it? Right this very minute. We got to have it. This is what happens when we live in the story that retailers and marketers are telling and selling. The story they would have us believe and live in is one that says, Life is good when you can have what you want when you want it. Right this very minute. And so while the world has its Black Fridays and Christmas rushes, we celebrate Advent because we believe and live in a different story. The story that God is telling in his word is one that says that life is good when God has what God wants when God wants it. Advent is all about waiting, something that I despise. We celebrate Advent for the same reason we celebrate Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost. Because these key events in the Christian calendar remind us of the true story. That we are called to believe and live in every day of the year. We must not let our culture tell us our story. We must listen to God's word and remember his story. And so this Advent, we're going to walk into the stories of a few unlikely witnesses. We begin with Zechariah and Elizabeth this week. Um, and as we do this, we're going to remember together that God is calling Metrocrest to remember his promises to his people and trust him to wrap up our little stories into his larger story. And then we'll know the wonder of Welcome. And we'll join that cloud of unlikely witnesses to the birth of the king. What is their story? A lot there, obviously, but let me summarize. Zechariah and Elizabeth's little story is a story of godly people wondering about God's purpose for their struggles. They're wounded and they're waiting. Elizabeth, barren, childless, two kinds of woundedness. That she, has. she has the wound of undeserved disgrace. Elizabeth said that by giving her a son, God would take away my reproach among the people. You see, in those days, to have a child, to have a son especially, uh, meant that God blessed you. In fact, many believed in Elizabeth's day that to be barren was a sign of God's punishment for your sin. And yet we know, Luke tells us, these were blameless, righteous people. And so this disgrace they felt, Elizabeth especially felt, was undeserved, but nevertheless real. But she also experienced the wound of unfulfilled desire. Elizabeth just wants to be a mom. And God has not seen fit to give her that desire They're wounded, but they're also waiting as an old man's old prayer goes unanswered. His prayer for a son and his prayer for a savior as a priest. This is what he's done his entire life. He's prayed for the coming of the Messiah, and still he waits. As you know, wounds and waiting will wear you out. So I don't know where you are in your story this morning, what wounds you're nursing, how tired you are of waiting, but I'm with you. That's their little story. God's larger story is a story of an eternal God who answers an ancient prayer. God sends Gabriel with a message of good news, of God's glory, the world's good and Zechariah and Elizabeth's gladness. It is a story of unbelief and belief. Zechariah learns to wait on God's timing by trusting God's word. In fact, that I think gets at the heart, or at least part of the heart of this story, is that we will learn to wait for God's t- timing when we learn to trust him. Luke 1.20 at the end of that verse. This is a key part of this passage. Gabriel said, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. We need to trust God's word and trust his timing. And that is essentially what I have received from this story. So let's let's look at this together. We can live out our little stories in the context of God's story as we trust him and wait on his timing. And so, quickly, six ways that God describes his timing in this passage. It's providential, it's precise, it's purposeful, it's promised, it's personal, and it's practical. First of all, God's timing is providential. Luke's detail makes it clear that God is absolutely in control of when, where, and how he does what he does. Now, I'm using a big word, one of these big preacher words, providence, providential. What does that mean? Uh, Paul explained it this way in Acts 17. He said, "...the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything." Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And here it is. He determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. This is providence. For in him we live and move And have our being. And maybe Paul was reflecting on what King David prayed in Psalm 139 when he said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's providence. Our catechism describes providence this way God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving. And governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. Providence in this story shows up when Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple and burn incense. This was a once in a lifetime happening for priests. In fact, not all of the priests got this opportunity, but if you got this opportunity to burn incense in the temple, it was one time. Proverbs 16, says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot fell on Zechariah. God providentially put him in that place. God in his providence cares about the details of the life of his people. Let it comfort you. Jesus said that if a sparrow falls from the sky, God notices it. Jesus said that if a hair falls from your head, which for some of us has happened more than others, God knows. And then he says, if he notices the sparrow, does he not notice you and what's happening in your life? God is control of precisely when, where, and how he does what he does. So we have reason to believe God, to trust him, to wait on him. He is working in the world while we wait. But God's uh, timing is also precise. I found almost 30 references to time in these verses. And here's just a sampling of the many details given to describe the timing of this event and the events that follow. Verse 5 says, In the days of Herod. Verse 8, when Zechariah's division was on duty. Again, It was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Verse 10, the people outside were praying at the hour of incense. Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God all the time, and I was sent to speak to you. Verse 20, until the day that these things take place. Verse 20, my words will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 23, when his time of service had ended. Verse 24, for five months, Elizabeth kept herself hidden. Verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. In verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. God's timing is precise. His timing is providential and precise only because it's also purposeful and promised. So, Let's think about this. God's timing is purposeful. In other words, God has a plan. The Apostle Paul described God's purposeful timing in this way in Galatians 4. He said, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And in Romans 5, Paul said, you see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God is up to something. He has a purpose in his timing. And it's absolutely critical to remember that God is telling a story from creation to the fall to this part of the story that we live in called redemption. God has not ever been deterred from his original purpose and plan. And so this chapter of the story, redemption that Zechariah and Elizabeth find themselves in, that we find ourselves in, um, is is part of the unfolding drama of God's plan to recreate through Jesus a God-centered community on God's mission to multiply God's glory, His goodness, His gladness throughout all creation forever. That's where Zechariah and Elizabeth are. God's people in that day knew that God had promised through his covenants that he was creating this community, but that the sin of his people kept getting in the way. They knew that the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel had described a new covenant that would deal with this sin problem forever and that God would resurrect his people into a great army for his glory. God's people knew that Isaiah and other prophets predicted that God would send his servant, capital S, who would be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities, by whose wounds they would be healed of their tendency to go astray, because God would lay on his servant the iniquity of his people. But it had been 400 years. 400 years, that's twice the age of our country. 400 years since God had spoken any more word of this promise to his people through the prophets. The people were waiting, waiting for another prophet to come, one like Elijah, one that the prophets of old had promised was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in that part of God's story. They knew what it meant to trust God's purposeful timing and to work for him while they wait on him. And this is the plan Later, after John's birth, Zechariah praised God for finally fulfilling. Listen to what he said. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You have to feel his joy. It's finally come. After hundreds and hundreds of years of promises, 400 years of silence, Zechariah still believed it was coming and it has come. And notice that the emphasis of Gabriel's message was mainly on God's purposes and plans, not on Zechariah's purposes and plans. It was about God sending that promised prophet who would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Zechariah and Elizabeth had purposed and planned to have children years ago, perhaps 30 even 40 years ago. But their timing did not fit God's purposes and plans. So Gabriel's message is more about God fulfilling his eternal purpose than about anything else. So God's timing is providential. It's precise. It's purposeful. It's all those things because it's promised. The prayers prayed at the altar of incense were specifically prayers for the rescue of God's people. Prayers for the promised redeemer to come. Do you remember what the Holy Spirit prompted Zechariah to say after John's birth? Zechariah said that God had finally begun to do what he promised, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath, the promise he swore. Zechariah Means God has remembered again. God has remembered again. God's timing is promised. So, what does that mean for Zechariah and Elizabeth? What does that mean for us? Well, their story reminds us that we can trust God when we are weary from waiting and from our woundedness because God's timing is also personal. It's personal because it involves his people. All of God's purposeful plans to fulfill his promises have involved people. This isn't just a nice, sweet story. The promise that God repeats again and again throughout his story is, I will be your God and you will be my people. At the end of Revelation, the last chapter of God's story will end with a voice coming from the throne of God saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Think about how personal this was to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests that served in those days. A priest could only hope to enter and serve in the holy place once in their lifetime, as I said. So couldn't John have been the son of any number of these priests? Couldn't God have given him to any number of priests? And even Elizabeth's response to the news was very personal. Her woundedness... The shame of being barren had been taken away. Why this man? Why this woman? And then think about how the neighbors must have felt personally involved. So uh, have you heard about the new prophet born to Zechariah and Elizabeth? Heard about him. Are you kidding? I'm his next-door neighbor. I was there when Zechariah came out of the temple. I brought him the wax tablet he used to communicate with us. God's timing is always personal. It involves his people and it affects our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. It's personal because it involves the intersection of our story with his story. Now, to me, this was the most fascinating part of the story. And this it's this question. What did Gabriel mean when he said your prayer Has been heard. Which prayer? Scholars have debated about this. Did he mean the prayer for the redemption of God's people that had just been prayed as Zechariah burned the incense on the altar? The prayer that the people were saying outside of the temple? The prayer that had been prayed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as the incense was offered in the temple? Or did he mean the prayer that Zechariah had prayed for a son? Because in the context, Gabriel said, Your prayer has been heard, you will have a son. Which is it? Well, one commentator answered this way He said, Is it absolutely necessary to make this choice? Is there not a very close relation between the two prayers? Is it not true that the son to whom Elizabeth would give birth was destined to be the forerunner of the Messiah through whom salvation would come for Israel? In fact, for all God's children, whether Jew or Gentile. I choose to land there. The answer is both prayers were answered in one fell swoop. Have no fear, if you are God's, then God's providential, precise, purposeful, and promised timing is personal to you. If you are his, then his timing is for you, not against you. And remember, all of this plan to bring John into the world is part of the plan to bring Jesus into the world. Jesus the love of God wrapped in flesh and blood and given for you, given in your place to live the life you should have lived, given in your place and my place to die the death we deserve to die for our sins, personal sins. Though this story is not about you, it is most certainly for you. You are personally part of this story. And so because all of that is true, we could trust God when we're weary from the waiting and the wound and woundedness because God's timing finally is practical. God's timing is practical in the sense that while he is working out his purposes and plans that are larger than we are, they have practical implications for us. Here are just a few practical implications that God has shown me through this story. First of all, having to do with prayer. God has taught me in this story that God answers my little prayers according to his larger plans. The answers to my prayers are aligned with God's purposes. Even the no is according to his plan is aligned with his purpose. Even the weight is according to his plan and aligned with his purpose. And when he says yes, it will only be when it is according to his plan and aligned with his purpose. Rest in that. The time that God hears and answers my prayer may not be the same as the time that I hear his answer. Gabriel said... I was sent to answer this prayer. But one of those prayers, Zechariah had prayed from the time that they first discovered Elizabeth was barren. And the prayer for the Redeemer to come had been prayed for hundreds of years. God heard it and had an answer. But when he hears and answers, may not be the same time that I hear the answer. Finally, I I can pray for what I want, but I must trust him for what he wants. And that's what Jesus did in the garden. Father, take this cup from me, but not what I want, what you want. You can pray for what you want, but you must trust him for what he wants. Practical implication for parenting. This is what struck me as I read this story. Because of the faithfulness of 10 plus generations of Aaron's family, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both descendants of Aaron, at least 10 generations down. And through 400 years of silence, their family was faithful to remember God's promises and to teach them to the next generation I I can't imagine doing that for 400 years when God is silent so it encourages me to just keep reminding my family of the promises of God secondly I may not be raising a John the Baptist, but I may be raising his great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And you may too. And then finally, the practical implication for what I'm calling pruning. You know how you have to prune plants so that they grow better? The pruning hurts. I'm assuming the plant cries a little. pruning. Listen to this. I was struck by this. Remember, Zechariah was struck deaf and mute. What was the last thing Zechariah said before he lost his ability to speak for nine months? The last thing he said was, how can I be sure of this? His last words were words of unbelief. What was the last thing Zechariah heard before he lost his hearing? These were the last words he heard before he lost his hearing. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. He heard God say, you don't believe my words. You don't trust what I've told you. Have you forgotten that I have a plan to fulfill my promises? You don't trust me. In order to wait with hope for Jesus to come, I have to remember with faith what God has promised. I have to preach the gospel, the first advent, to myself daily and then face forward with hope, looking for his imminent return while living to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven now. I don't believe. Zechariah and I have a lot in common. But thankfully, again, his name means... God has remembered again. It didn't say Zechariah has remembered. It didn't say Elizabeth has remembered. God has remembered again. God has not forgotten his promise to call and set apart a people to himself through Jesus. And so you and I must remember again and again and again. We must believe his words, which will be fulfilled in their time.